Okay. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Oh my goodness. What is going on with technology? See, this is why Jacob's not allowed to get sick, because when he leaves, all the technology starts to go on the fritz, and I'm not very good at handling it, but that's all right. We will survive, I think. Um, uh, if you don't know, my name is Josh. I'm the preaching minister here at ACC. And I would love if you would start off with me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your written word. God, as we dive into your word today, we just ask that you would soften our hearts. We ask that you would give us a spirit of gratitude. We ask that you would help us to know and, and understand and experience your word and apply it to our lives. We pray all of these things in Jesus Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. all right. So today we're, we're in part six of seven of our series on the book of Psalms called Selah. We are looking through all of these different genres and styles of psalms. We are exploring and experiencing different types of psalms. And today we're going to look at Thanksgiving psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 118. And I think what you're going to notice as we're going through all of these different psalms and these different genres and these different styles... Hopefully by now you've started to notice that the more and more we go on, these different styles and genres of psalms all sort of start to blur together a little bit. We were, um, on Tuesday night at our Bible study, we were looking at what we did last week. We were looking at Psalm 106. And, and, and by the way, I, I highly encourage you, if you're not going to Tuesday night Bible studies, highly encourage you to go to that. Um, we, what we cover here on Sunday mornings is about this much of the scripture. Because there's just not enough time in 45 minutes to really just dive into everything. Um, Tuesday nights is where we really get to crack it open. We get to just dive in and, and hang on every little word and really truly interact with God's word. So that's my little plug for Tuesdays. I highly encourage you to come to those. Um, but on Tuesday, I think it was Stu who asked a really good question about the psalm we did last week. He was like, you know, you're calling this one a history psalm, but wouldn't you also call it a praise psalm? And, and in a lot of ways, it was like, well, yeah, maybe it's that. But it, wasn't it also kind of a lament psalm? It had all of those different aspects to it. Um, and so I want you to appreciate that, that the psalms, this work of art that God has given us, is able to speak on multiple levels and to hit on multiple emotions. And today, as we go into Psalm 118, we're going to go ahead and call it a Thanksgiving psalm. Um, and in my mind, the one big difference between a praise psalm, which is what we looked at three or four weeks ago, and a thanksgiving psalm, is that a praise psalm is a psalm where we're giving praise and thanks to God simply for who he is. We're giving him adoration just for simply being God. Whereas a thanksgiving psalm is where we're going to look at what God has done and give thanks for that. It... It might seem like a really minor distinction, but I think it's important. I think it's important that we both praise God simply for being God, the creator of all things, the ruler of the universe, and just give him adoration for just existing. But at the same time, we don't stop there. Once we praise him for being God, I think then we can stop and give him thanks for the individual specific things that he has done in our lives. 
You can see both sides of that coin. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Psalm 118. And what I want you to understand as we dive through Psalm 118 is I want you to try and put yourself in the mind and in the lives of the people who originally sang this psalm. See, Psalm, psalm 118 was sung generally in three different contexts. It was an act of corporate worship. And, and you'll notice we're talking about the people who sang it. We're not talking a lot about who wrote it. I don't know if you've noticed as we've gone through this series, I haven't talked a lot about David's thinking this and Solomon's thinking this. We're not looking at the original authors through this series. I think there's value in that, but what we're doing in this series is we're experiencing these psalms the way the ancient Israelites would have experienced them. So Psalm 118 was sung and experienced in three different contexts, the first of which was after a victory at war. This was generally a psalm that they, they believed was a, originally a battle hymn. So after the Israelites had gone and God had given them victory in war on the way back to the city, this is the type of psalm that they would sing. And some of the language that we'll get into in this psalm is very, very military in, in its nature. Like uh, verse 10, where it says, The nation surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. So it's got this idea of victory. We're singing about victory, and we're giving thanks to God for the victories in our life. You've got to imagine being in that troop, and you've just faced off an army maybe ten times your size, and yet God was with you. So you can imagine that context as we read through this psalm. The second context, and we'll, we'll talk about the third one a little later. The second context and the way that this psalm was sung was during the festivals. So every year, the Jews were required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, for Pentecost, for the Feast of Tabernacles. And no matter where you live, no matter how far away you were, Every year when there was that festival, you would make a pilgrimage. You would pack up your family and your sacrifices and your donkey and all the other stuff, and you would just make a trip on foot to Jerusalem. And so these psalms, Psalm 105 through 118, were sung by the crowds as they are making their way up to the holy city. I want you to just picture yourself in the midst of those crowds. Maybe you've got your family with you your neighbors from your town, and a whole bunch of other people who you have nothing in common with except for the fact that you all love the Lord. And that's one of the ways in which this psalm was sung as they were ascending up to the holy city. Psalm 18 is really special because it was, it was believed to be a call and response psalm. You ever sung those songs where, where I sing something and then you guys sing something back? Who loves that? I love those kinds of songs. Yeah, we got one. That's good. Good enough. So in Psalm 118, it's believed that the call and response was the one leading the songs would sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then the rest of the assembly would sing, his love endures forever. All right. So I'm, you guys can participate with me in reading this psalm. There's three times, th uh, three in the beginning and one at the end, where it's your cue to, to say, 
His love endures forever. Do we need to practice it? Let's practice the first verse, and then I want you to participate with me as we sing this song. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. That's how we're gonna, that's how I want you guys to participate with me in experiencing this psalm. Okay? Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say. Let the house of Aaron say. Let those who fear the Lord say. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. And this is your cue. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful just to praise God? And... And one of the things that's so amazing about this psalm is it's just so perfectly structured and ordered. It's, it's just going down the list and giving thanks to God for all of these different things. It's, it's framed using a lot of these military images, these battle images, but it also is applying to God's deliverance of the people from Egypt. I know, that's okay. Let's try that one. I didn't know if you didn't want them to or not. I do, but that's okay. I'd, I'd rather focus on this than that. That's okay. a lot of work. Okay. That's a lot of extra work. Um, this is a victory song. Ultimately, what we're giving thanks to God is for victory. 
And it's just this, this list of all of the things that the, the, the people are being grateful for. So in verse 5, verse 5 says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. We're giving thanks for God's deliverance. Verses 6 and 7. It says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. So not only are we giving thanks for God's deliverance, but we're giving thanks for his presence, for the fact that he is with us. 10, 11, and 12, we're giving thanks for God's strength to defeat our enemies. 9 and 10, we're 8 and 9, excuse me, we're giving thanks for the refuge that we receive in God. And so really this, this psalm is, excuse me, sorry. Oh man, I just lost my entire spot on my sermon. Sorry. Um, this psalm is, a, is an act of giving gratitude for all of the ways that God has given us victory in our lives giving credit to God for the things that he has done, for the victories that he's given us. When, when's the last time you did that? When's the last time you just sat down and, get, and gave, that, gave thanks to God for the victories in your life? Or you just sat down and you're like, you know, there was this one time where there was no hope and, and I was really upset, but you carried me through, God. There was this other time that I can remember where... You know, I felt like the walls were closing in. I felt like everybody was against me. But you know what? I made it through. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of you, God. Thank you for the victory that you gave me when I thought all hope was lost. I want to look at verse 5 again. It says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. It's this idea of being hemmed in on all sides with no hope, and God is bringing us out into wide open pastures. Being from a state of slavery into a state of freedom. That's the, the imagery that the psalmist is giving here. Verse 6, he says, The Lord is with me. Can we just be grateful for the fact that God is here in our midst? That He chooses to be with us, to let his spirit dwell in our hearts. And, and he says, what can, what can man do to me? What can mere mortals do to me? What can people do when God is on my side? You can take my job, you can take my money, you can take my house, you can take all my stuff. You can't take my faith from me. You cannot take my relationship with God. I think the key to gratitude is understanding that we have that relationship with God that only we can break. Nobody can take that from us. He says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. In the, in the Greek Old Testament, this is the version of the Bible that Jesus and the apostles read. They translate that word refuge in two different ways. The first time they translate it as confidence. The second time they translate it as hope. 
Both are equally applicable to the word there. And that's what it means to take refuge in the Lord. To take safety in God is to put all of our confidence, all of our hope in Him. And that's where our strength comes from. He says that all the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. And so all throughout this psalm, we're getting this, this image of God's might, God's power. First. 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The right hand of the Lord is the hand of justice. It's such this, this beautiful image of God's power and authority. Because what does the right hand do? I mean, I realize we're in a church where like over 50% of us are left-handed. But for most people in the rest of the country that's not this church, that everyone's left-handed for some reason, myself included, the right hand is the one that swings the hammer, isn't it? The right hand is the one that throws the punch. It's the one that swings the sword. God's might, God's power is something we can be grateful for. And then verse 17 I will not die, but live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. I want you to reflect on those two verses. I'll read them one more time. I will not die, but live. And I will proclaim what the Lord has done. The only reason we exist on this earth is to give praise to God. That's why we're here. Think about this. You are here in this room today with breath in your lungs, and God put that breath there. What are you going to do with it? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to use that breath that God gave me to give him praise, to give him thanks, to proclaim Christ. Verse 18. The Lord has chastened me, but he has not given me over to death. That means no matter what you're going through, no matter what hard times you've fallen on, no matter what chastening, no matter what rough things you're going through, you still have that breath in your lungs that you can give praise to God, that you can proclaim Christ. And so we're... We're singing this psalm and we're, we're reflecting on God's power, on his might, on his presence. The confidence that he gives us, the breath, the very breath in our lungs. And again, I want you to put yourself in the minds of the Israelites. We're singing this song as we're marching up to the city, the holy city, to be in the presence of God. You can almost, the closest thing that any of us can ever imagine is maybe the, when they had the marches on Selma back in the 60s, like this, this moment where you're just surrounded by all of these people and you're singing these songs and you're corporately praising God and giving thanks to God. And you do this every year. It's a part of who you are. It's part of your identity. 
And as you get into verse 19, I want you to imagine that you've come around the corner and there up on the hill is the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. The temple is there and you're making your way up to the gates of the city. Verse 19 reads, Open the gates of the righteous and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate through which the righteous may enter. You're entering into the gate to finally be in the presence of God in his temple. Jesus says something similar about that in John 10. When we're talking about making our way up to the gate to be in the presence of God, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. When you get into verse 21 in our psalm, we say, I will give thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I do recall another person saying that at some point in the New Testament. This is Matthew 21. Jesus says this about himself. He is the stone the builders had rejected. He is the gate we enter into. He is the pathway for relationship with God. He is the one we enter in through in order to give thanks to God. And as I read verse 25... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read part of verse 25 uh, with, the, with the Hebrew word because I think it's going to help to really make this connection for you. But again, I want you to imagine you're in this festival, you're in this procession up through the city, there's crowds all around and you're entering in through the gates and you get to verse 25 in the song and you say, Lord, Hosanna. That's what it is in Hebrew. Save us. Lord, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. They would sing this song every single year at the Passover festival. Every single year as they entered the gates of the city, they would sing this song and they would sing this verse, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But there was one year... As they were singing this song, there had been rumors about a rogue rabbi in the wilderness traveling around with his 12 friends. Rumors going around that he was performing miracles. Rumors going around that he might even be God's promised Messiah. And so as this rogue rabbi in the wilderness with his 12 friends traveling around enters the city, they took the words of this song and they turned it into a royal procession for the one they thought might be the Messiah. Isn't that beautiful how God's word just comes full circle like that? But let me tell you, as they laid those palm branches out Jesus, as they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had no idea what was going on. No clue. But he did. 
See, every single aspect of this psalm that was sung about in the physical realm, victory over our enemies, refuge from the nations, deliverance from slavery, every single aspect of this psalm, Christ came and fulfilled all of those components on an eternal level. Not just victory over the Egyptians or the Philistines, but victory over sin and death. And they were singing the song and they had no idea that they even needed to be thankful for what the Messiah was doing. I told you at the beginning that there were three different contexts in which this psalm was sung. I told you I was going to tell you what the third one is. The third time they would sing this psalm was during the Passover meal. They would begin the Passover meal in verse 105, and as the supper went on, in between the bread and the cup and the different parts of the meal, they would sing 106, 107, 108. They would sing these songs all the way throughout the supper. And Psalm 118 is the very last psalm that they would sing. That's important. It's important because of Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And pay attention to verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the, this is the hymn they sang. This is Matthew 26, 30. This is what they were singing. So that helps you to put yourself in the mind of the apostles and all those who were with Christ as they were taking the Lord's Supper, this is the song they sing. And let me tell you, I don't think the apostles had any idea what God was working in their lives at that moment either. Because here's the deal. Jesus had told the apostles multiple, multiple times. Hey, guess what? We're going to go into Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be put to death. He's going to rise from the dead. And they were like, okay, Jesus. Yeah, that's good. That's good. They're like, no, 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 really. We're going into Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. Later, And Peter was like, no, 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 not, not surely not you, Lord. They didn't get it. Jesus had told them again and again, but they had no clue. That's why they had sent women to the tomb to anoint his body, because they were convinced he was dead. That's why Peter denied Jesus three times, because once he was arrested, Peter thought it was all over. The, the only thing that makes sense to me, because we read that Jesus told them again and again and again, I think they must have thought that he was speaking some sort of parable, like he always did. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. The disciples were like, yeah. The Son of Man's going to die. That's, that's a really good parable, a really good riddle. I wonder what he means by that. I wonder if this is like the bread and the loaves thing, or if this is like the, 
casting out your nets. I'm not sure. That's, that's a good parable. We should think about that. And so as they're singing this hymn of thanksgiving to God, they have no clue. No clue that they are sitting with the one who's going to go to the grave and defeat death once and for all. They, they knew a little bit about Jesus. They knew he was God's anointed. They knew he was the son of God. But they had no idea that he was going to go to the cross. That he was going to beat the grave. That he was going to have the ultimate victory over life and death. And as we reflect on this thought, I, wanna, I want you to think about what are the things that God is doing in your life that you have not even realized yet? What are the ways that God is delivering you that haven't even happened yet? You know you should be thankful to God, but he hasn't even worked yet, but you know he's going to. And if you could be in the same room with the Son of God and share a table with him and give thanks to him and sing this song with him, wouldn't you want to thank him not only for what he has done and what he's doing, but also what he's going to do? Um, as a quick side note, would somebody be willing to go and either text Reba or go ahead and get our kids from, up, from downstairs? Um, all right, everyone here has homework this week. You too, Jake, just so you know. Everybody, everybody's got homework this week. I want everybody in this room to take some time this week, each day, and reflect on this thought. Psalm 118 was sung as an act of gratitude for the things that God had done in the past. Right, because it was sung at the Passover festival. It was reflecting on God's actions in the past and giving thanks for what he had done long ago. It was also sung as an act of gratitude for what God was doing right there in the moment when it was sung as a battle hymn. Because you are marching home from war and you're giving thanks for the victory that God has given you right now. And God's presence in your life right now. And in some ways it was being sung as an act of gratitude for things that hadn't even happened yet. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were giving praise and thanks to God and they didn't even know what he was doing yet, but he did it. And so your homework this week, every day I want you to take some time and reflect on what God is doing in your life, both past, present, and future. Because we serve the God who is, who was, and who is to come from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. And you know, obviously you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know the way God is going to work in your life tomorrow. But I'm going to tell you something. He's going to work in your life. He is alive. You can give thanks for the victories. You can give thanks for his strength. You can give thanks for your salvation. You can give thanks for his refuge, for his confidence, and his hope. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the house, or excuse me, let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, 
Let those who fear the Lord say, His love endures forever. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much. Go and put that in your pocket, buddy. We praise you. We thank you. We're so grateful for all the ways you've worked in our life. We thank you for what you've done in our lives in the past. We thank you for the way you are working and moving through your spirit in our lives right now. And God, we, we thank you for the ways that you are working in our lives that we haven't even seen yet. We thank you for your refuge, for your confidence and hope, and allowing us to find that confidence and hope in you. Most of all, God, we thank you so much for the victory that you've given us. The victory over sin, the victory over death through your son on the cross. And it's in his name we pray. And the church said,